Wonderful. We are continuing in our series called We Are Sunrise, where we have been asking the question, well, you know, why are we here? Why do we exist as a local church or as a faith family on this island and in this world? And we believe the answer that the Lord has given us or the charge that he's given us is that we exist to know Jesus uh, so much so that we can't help but make him known uh, in this world that so desperately needs him. And so having said that, we are living in some interesting times. Um, the thing dominating our mind, like Adam just said, uh, is probably uh, this coronavirus dominating the headlines. You know, it's caused a, a lot of unsettledness around the world. And so, you know, let me give you three S's just to help you out there. Uh, soap, sanitizer, and space. Right, so there we go, sorts out the problem. Three S's, soap, sanitizer, and space, and you're golden. Um, but then also looking at, around at some of the other headlines, uh, the, you know, the states, they're gearing up for elections, and you know, this person's saying that, and that person's saying it's a lot of jostling around. And you know, they can also contribute to a little bit of this unsettledness. Um, in, in fact, you know, not so long ago, we had our own earthquake, and so I'm thinking, wow, we, we really are living in some interesting times at the moment. And then maybe, you know, for you on a personal level, maybe there's uncertainty in your job and you're thinking, you know, do I stay, do I go, do I do this or, or do I do that? Or, or maybe there's some uncertainty in some of your relationships that's causing a lot of uh, anxiety in you or, or maybe uncertainty around your health or, or the health of a loved one. Uh, finances, finances can be a big area that causes a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And so here's what I'm proposing this morning. As we continue this series, Sunrise exists to know Jesus and make him known, and here's our angle for this morning, in uncertain times. Sunrise exists to know Jesus and make him known in uncertain times, because so far in our series, we've seen that Jesus has all authority. We saw that in, in the Great Commission. So basically, you know, he's saying all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, you know, he is King of Kings. He is Lord of all. He, he is a Commander in Chief. And then last week we saw that he is our great high priest. Uh, in fact, that he's not only our perfect high priest, but he became the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. So he says that we can approach God's throne with confidence to ask for grace and mercy in time of need. But now, like I said, we're asking this morning, how, this is what I wanna know, how does Jesus help us to know him and make him known, especially in uncertain times. Because here's why this is so important. Because when we experience trials, when we experience hardships or uncertain times, whatever they might be, they tend to expose what we believe about Jesus. And therefore, they tend to expose our expectations of him. And then, of course, when Jesus doesn't meet those expectations, we feel disappointed. We might even feel angry. We feel disillusioned and, and, our, and our faith is rocked. And so we have to ask ourselves the question in, in that time, is, it, is the problem with Jesus or is the problem with what we are believing about Jesus and therefore the expectations that we have of him? And so yes, we want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus as best we can so as to attempt to make sense of our situations that we find ourselves in, so as to draw some sort of comfort from the situations that we find ourselves in, and then to go and encourage others as biblically best as we can with Jesus in their times of uncertainty. So we're gonna look at a story of two disciples 
not part of the original 12. They're kind of like on the outer circle of Jesus' 12 disciples, but nonetheless, they're his disciples. Um, and they were in a very uncertain space especially because of what they were believing about Jesus and their expectations that they had of him. They were slightly misplaced. And then we're gonna see how Jesus comes alongside them to encourage them and and, and help them know him better. And then we're gonna see how they then go and encourage others with what they learned from Jesus. So as we go through our story, you can see this on the flip side of your bulletins, Jesus is gonna help us know him in uncertain times through three ways or three means that he uses. His presence, number two, the Bible, and then lastly, the church. So here we go, point number one, through his presence. So the immediate context of our story is around Jesus' resurrection. And Peter, the, the disciple Peter, he's just run back confirming that the tomb is indeed empty. But some of the disciples, they don't get the significance of the empty tomb. It doesn't make sense to them yet. And so as a result, some of them begin to leave Jerusalem. Some of them begin to leave dejected, confused, and disillusioned. They're shaken in their faith. And two of those disciples, they begin making their way to a village called Emmaus. And that's where we jump in with our story. So have a look at Luke Luke chapter 24, you can follow on screen with me or on your Bible app, or you're welcome to grab a Bible somewhere in front of you from a chair pocket, but I want you to see God's word for yourself. So here we go, Luke chapter 24 from verse 13. He writes and he says, that very day, the day of his resurrection or the empty tomb, that very day two of them, two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. In other words, they didn't know what was going on. They're confused. This is an uncertain time for them. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So they're having this intense conversation, walking along this long dusty road, and the two of them are trying to process what they've just seen or they've just experienced over the weekend. And the text tells us, Luke records that they're feeling sad. They're feeling deflated by it. And then Jesus catches up and he joins in the conversation, but I don't know if you saw this very strange thing in verse 16. Luke tells us, says this, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I'm thinking, why, Jesus? I mean, clearly these guys are sad, clearly these guys are confused, their their, their faith is on tender hooks here. Why don't you just reveal yourself to them properly and then for the next seven miles, you know, it's all hugs and everything's fine. You can talk about the weather and the football, you know, life can carry on. But instead, he wants to know what they're talking about. He wants to get involved in their discussion. He wants to know why they are sad. Not, not that he doesn't know, but he, it's like he wants to hear it from them. And so it seems that at times Jesus comes alongside us And he doesn't immediately make the situation better. He doesn't immediately open their eyes to say, here I am, don't worry, 
I'm in control, always have been. He, do, he doesn't do that immediately. It seems like he wants us to learn something. It seems like he wants us to kind of process what we're going through. Stephen Gull, uh, a great preacher, he, he, he explained it like this. Have a look. He says, God knew that it was best for them to go through the despair and confusion of the cross before they came out into the full light of the resurrection. And so he closed their minds from grasping the plain statements about Jesus' death. Even so, God knows what is best for us. And I want you to cling to that statement. Because this is confusing. Like, wow, I don't don't get it. Why didn't he open their eyes? But listen to what he says. Even so, God knows what is best for us. And so he sometimes closes our minds to the plain teaching of Scripture for a time so that we will learn lessons that we never would have learned if we had understood and embraced it from the start. I thought, oh, that's an interesting interpretation. That's an interesting opinion. I mean, how many times have you guys read a particular portion of Scripture, and yeah, that's a cool portion of Scripture, but then months later, you read it again, and it's like, whoa, the lights come on, this is amazing, your life is changed. And is it perhaps, is it perhaps because God had to take you through a season of your life in order for that truth to land deeply in your heart? As a father, I'm beginning to realize this. We have um, two little girls, Paige and Emma, and sometimes they get into an argument, mostly because Emma's maybe taken Paige's, one of Paige's dresses without asking. And uh, they get into a bit of an argument, and you know, Janine and I are right there, but sometimes we go, whoa, 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 let's see. Instead of just jumping in, let's see if they can figure this thing out. I mean, we, we're right there. And then you know, we step in when, when we hear like hair is being pulled or, or something like that. And then, you know, then we can talk about, okay, what's going on in Paige's heart? What's going on in Emma's heart? Let's talk about sharing. What's the right attitude to have? But we're right there. But sometimes we you know, let them see. Let us see if they can process this thing. So when we're going through tough and uncertain times and, and we're wondering where Jesus is or we're disappointed in Jesus because he's not coming through for us, we can remember two things. Number one, Jesus is with us in our times of uncertainty. Again, have a look at Stephen Cole. He says this, these men on that dusty road thought that Jesus was dead and gone when in fact he was the one walking with them as they talked, though they did not recognize him at first. He says, when you're disappointed or discouraged, you may think that the Lord is a million miles away, but if you are one of his flock, in other words, if you are a born again Christian, but if you are one of his flock, even though you are being faithless and do not see him, he is there with you. Listen to this. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And I think Stephen Cole hits on something very important there in that last sentence. That when we're going through really tough times, when we're going through uncertain times, we are to cling to his promises to us. God never falters in his faithfulness towards us. Whatever he, uh, he promises to us in his word, he is faithful to fulfill that because that's just part of his nature. He cannot contradict himself. He is faithful despite our faithlessness or despite our moments of weakness in life. Secondly, because he's always with us, you can pour out your soul to him. You can pour out your soul to him in prayer. Jesus knew everything that had happened, A, because it happened to him, but B, because he's God. He knows all things. 
But yet he still comes alongside these men and he still asks them questions because he wants to hear it from them. He wants to hear what's going on in their hearts and in their minds. But now maybe we're thinking, well, that's great for these guys. Even though they didn't recognize him, it was still cool that at least Jesus was there in the flesh with them. So how exactly do we have the presence of Jesus, especially in times of uncertainty? Look at John 16, verse 12 with me. So here we have Jesus just before his arrest, just before his persecution. He's talking directly to his 12 disciples. And so that's one thing we need to realize when we're reading the Bible, we first need to realize the original context and the original recipients. Who is he speaking to specifically and why before we just simply make applications to ourselves? So he says this to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Here we go. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, not a truth, the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, here's why, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is basically saying, after my ascension into heaven, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to declare to you, he's going to declare my truth to you. And so what do the disciples then do when that happens? They go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they go preaching the gospel, they go preaching the truth, and some of them even recorded it in what has become known as our New Testament. Now... When you and I believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get the same Holy Spirit who indwells us, and as Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, that he is the seal of our salvation, and, and Jesus calls him our helper, he calls him our, our comforter. In the Greek, it's the, the word parakletos, which means helper or advocate. So he comes to help us, he indwells us. I mean, think about it, the, the very presence of God Almighty is now living in us. I mean, we could take the rest of our lives to try and get our minds and our hearts around that truth. God Almighty living in you. But now, like the original disciples, he's gonna guide us in the truth, but the truth that he caused to be written down in these pages. We have the truth of Jesus in these pages. And that leads us to the second point. What we're gonna see here is that Jesus himself uses the Bible to help us know him correctly, which is especially essential in times of uncertainty. So point number two, Jesus uses the Bible, which again, I think is such a remarkable thing to do because I'm thinking, Jesus, you're right there in the flesh. You're right there. What could be better than you right here in the flesh? Why don't you just simply open their eyes? Here's the thing, Jesus is not gonna be with them in the flesh for very long. His ascension is imminent. And so he wants to show them and he wants to show us how they can take comfort, how they can be strengthened in their faith when he's not around. Have a look at their conversation now. So the last part of verse 18, uh, Cleopas says to him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who, who doesn't know the things that have happened over these days? And look at his response, verse 19. And he said to him, 
what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, a mighty uh, prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But now listen to this. But, so this is a contrast, but him they did not see. So the first thing we need to realize when we're going through a tough situation or an uncertain time is that sometimes our theology and our expectations of Jesus can be misguided or can be incorrect. And therefore, that then serves to compound the issue that we're in, right? It serves to compound the feelings and the emotions that we have in that uncertain time. So have a look at the, the disciples' misunderstandings. Firstly, they misunderstand who Jesus is. Look at verse 19 again. They say, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. So this is how they see Jesus here in verse 19. They see that he comes from Nazareth, which is partly right, but he also comes from God because he's God, which leads to the next thing, that they see him as a man. And again, partly true, but he's 100% God and he's 100% man. And then thirdly, they see him as a prophet in that they do say a mighty prophet in, in word and deed. Now listen, a prophet was someone who, who represented God. He, he, he delivered God's message or God's will to the people and therefore he had God's authority, God's backing. But again, they were thinking of Jesus in the same manner as the Old Testament prophets. Simply men who were, who were chosen by God to, to do what God wanted them to do. But they were men, like Elijah or Jeremiah or Isaiah. But Jesus is our ultimate prophet because he's God himself. And therefore, whatever he said is God's word. And therefore, he had God's authority. Verse 20 tells us they didn't understand the reason behind his death. It says how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But again, this shouldn't have been surprising to them. I mean, how many times did Jesus foretold, foretell that he would die? Then all of that leads to verse 21. All of their misunderstandings about who he is and what he came to do leads to verse 21. Look at this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, many of the Jews had this misconception about what this long-awaited Messiah was to come and do, what this long-awaited uh, Christ was, was to come and do. They were expecting like a, like a King David to arrive, who would stir up an army and take out Roman rule, take out Roman oppression, and, and literally then sit on a, a physical throne as a king, ruling the nation of Israel and reestablishing its boundaries and its borders. But notice their language but we had hoped. Meaning, instead of getting what we wanted, instead of getting our way, something different happened. 
You know, there's a saying, no, no, listen, we had a will for Jesus. Our will for Jesus was that he would be a king, that he would take out the Romans, and that he would reestablish our nation. But as a result, it didn't happen, so we're sad, and we're leaving. We're leaving disappointed. How often do we say the same or, or similar things? And I really thought Jesus would have come through for me. I really thought Jesus would have stopped that. I really thought Jesus would have allowed me to do that. And then what we do, due to our disappointment, we start drawing theological conclusions about Jesus. Because this happened, well, then that means Jesus is like that then. Or because that didn't happen, well then maybe Jesus is like that. Maybe he's not that much in control. Maybe he doesn't have that much authority. Maybe he's not that loving. Or we go, no, 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 Jesus is fine. Jesus is perfect. We, we begin to condemn ourselves and we think, if I just had enough faith, then Jesus would have done that for me. But if I just mustered up enough faith, it's like, kinda, like Jesus standing on the sidelines going, you just need to up the faith, but then I can come and help you. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, what we're believing about Jesus might be misguided. It gets worse. They, they ultimately, they didn't understand the gospel. Look at verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Instead of rejoicing because the tomb is empty, they're sad, they're confused. They didn't understand the significance of the, of the resurrection. The resurrection validates everything about Jesus, everything that he said he is and would do. But now how does Jesus correct their misunderstandings? And again, I'm thinking, Jesus, there's a shortcut. Just open their eyes and all will be well. But like we said, he's not always gonna be around in the flesh. So how are they gonna draw strength for their faith? How are they going to improve their real understanding of who Jesus is, especially when the persecutions start? I mean, we read the book of Acts. Persecution is on the way. Look at what Jesus does, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. I'm thinking, well, Jesus, they're sad. I mean, come on. He's like, no, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. In other words, everything that they've just said to Jesus, he describes as foolish and a form of unbelief. I don't think they were unbelievers. I think what he's saying is that their faith was weak because there were so many holes in their theology of him. Foolish and unbelief in what? He says, all that the prophets have spoken, which I found fascinating. Not all that I've said over the last three years with you guys. No, he reaches back into the Old Testament. That's the Bible that they had. All that the prophets in your scriptures have told about me. And they're thinking, what do you mean? So he clarifies, verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And all the prophets. That's like the major prophets. That's like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets like Nahum and Micah. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, including like the Psalms, the things concerning himself. You imagine that? I mean, I would love to have been there. Seven miles of Bible exposition from Jesus himself. 
Seven miles. In seven miles, he unpacks the entire Old Testament showing how it points toward him. How certain individuals, how certain events, how certain festivals all pointed toward him and find their fulfillment in him. I mean, again, like we saw last week, he's our ultimate high priest. He's, he's replaced the Levitical priestly system. He's replaced the sacrificial system. We saw the week before that he has all authority, so he's king of kings, lord of all. And now we're seeing that he's the true prophet. This word is all about him. It has all of his authority. So Jesus is saying to us, here is our ultimate king. There were kings in the Old Testament. No, he is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate high priest. And he's the ultimate prophet. And so he does this to correct their misunderstandings of the Christ and to encourage them and strengthen their faith in this apparent uncertain time. Listen to John Bloom's encouragement from this. He says, when God ordains things to happen contrary to our expectations, like Cleopas, not expecting Jesus to die, those are times when we are tempted to doubt his word lose faith, and as a result, lose sight of him. But not being able to see him doesn't mean that he isn't there walking with us. We may not recognize him. He says those are not the times to neglect the word. Rather, those are the times to spend hours looking. That is where you will begin to recover your sight. So, practically, how are we going to do that? And for some of you, you, you guys are amazing in your devotional time and you, you're great Bible scholars. And so what I'm about to say might be too simple for you, but maybe for the rest of us, may, this might help, especially trying to read your Bible in uncertain times when you just don't get what Jesus is doing or Jesus is very quiet, okay? Five things that you can do. Number one, firstly, recognize the importance, recognize the importance of this book. That's what we're saying at sunrise. We have a very high view of this book. We believe this book is from God. And so that's why we preach like we preach. We preach expositionally, mostly through books of the Bible. Like, I don't know how long we spent in Colossians. And so if Jesus took seven miles to unpack it to these two disciples, choosing to do that rather than just simply open their eyes in the moment, then who are we not to prioritize it in our lives? Number two, before you even open this book and begin to read it in your devotion, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He's your comforter. He's your teacher. After all, he's the one who inspired the writing of this book. Number three, ask, what does this passage say about God? As you read it or as you've read it, ask, what does it say about God? What does it say about God the Father? What does it say about God the Son or God the Holy Spirit? Does it say something about what they're doing? Is he talking about a character trait, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's holiness? Then number four, what does it say about man? Does it describe our condition or our standing before God? Is it highlighting a particular sin? Or is it highlighting a, um, who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ? And then lastly, number five, what must we do? Because we're, we're to apply scripture to our lives. So what must we do? In other words, is there something as simple as praising God about? This passage was going on about how majestic God is. And so in that moment, you just get down on your knees or while you're driving to work in the car, you praise him for what you read. 
Is there something to repent of? Maybe you're looking at a particular sin. Or is there a promise to hold on to? Is there a promise to hold on to, to renew your mind on? Because when we are faithful to the scriptures, our faith will be strengthened. We'll begin to see more and more how incredible God is in the face of Jesus. And and as we do that, we'll be changed more and more into his image and likeness, despite the situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in. But now look at the result of Jesus using the Bible to strengthen their faith and correct their theology. The story goes on there. They eventually reach Emmaus and it's nearly nightfall. Have a look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. I don't know. I love this. He acted. This is Jesus, right? He acted as if he were going further. I mean, I don't, maybe I'm just exposing my weird sense of humor. But, you know, I'm looking at that going, Jesus is all about truth. What is Jesus acting like he's going to move on? Like he's like, hey, I'm not going to go there type of thing. Anyway, don't worry about it. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, no, 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 stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So Jesus sovereignly and supernaturally lifts their partial blinding to see him for who he truly is. Now now watch, watch what the results are. In other words, what happens in our lives, what happens when Jesus begins to open our spiritual eyes more and more to truly see him, to truly know him, and to truly begin to understand what he accomplished on the cross for us? Look at verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Remember how Jesus described their hearts in verse 25? He said, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Now they're on fire for him. And what was the means? What was the means Jesus used to to get them to this point? They tell us, last part of verse 32, while he opened to us the scriptures. And that's what we're saying. That Jesus is with us And he's going to use his word to correct us and to strengthen our faith, which will cause our hearts to go from dull or disillusioned or angry or disappointed in him to on fire for him or to be encouraged in him or full of faith again or strengthened again. What Jesus did here was sheer genius. Instead of giving them a once-off mystical experience of who he is, He uses the scriptures as a means or as a tool to show them that they can keep coming back to it time and time again to see him and be strengthened by it. Because listen, by the the pure nature of the world that we're living in, the culture, the times that we're living in means we're gonna experience times of uncertainty more and more. And Jesus has given us his prophetic word so that we can go back to it time and time again to see him and be encouraged, strengthened. So we can come to his word and go, Jesus, I am struggling. I'm I'm really struggling with anxiety about this or about that. Is there something in your word? Is there a truth in your word that I can hold on to? Because my feelings are telling me this. The world is telling me this, but I wanna know what you're saying. 
Or Jesus, I need to be reminded about your love because I'm not feeling loved in this situation. Or Jesus, I need to be reminded about your power and your authority because I'm in a situation that just seems impossible. Or Jesus, is there a promise from you that I can hold on to that will renew my mind and strengthen my heart because of the situation that I'm in. So Jesus is gonna strengthen our faith. He's gonna help us know him by coming alongside us in and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, by correcting and encouraging us. And then lastly, he's gonna use his church to encourage us too. Point number three, through the church. Again, think about it. What were these two disciples busy doing as a result of not fully understanding Jesus in this situation? They're walking away. Walking away from Jerusalem. Walking away from the other disciples. Walking away from the church, the believers. They're walking away from fellowship. And with every step they took on that dusty road, they became more and more disillusioned and saddened. But now as a result of their lives being, their eyes being opened to to the truth in Jesus, look at what they do. Verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They went back. It's nighttime, seven miles all the way back to their brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on and says, and they found the eleven. And those who were gathered together, that's the church, right? Believers. Uh, The church is not a service, not a building. It's when believers gather. And they found the 11 and those who were gathered together saying, and this is what the church or those gathered say to our two disciples, verse 34, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In other words, he appeared to Peter. Then listen to what our two disciples say, verse 35. Then they told what happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I mean, you've you got to picture this in your mind, guys. Can you imagine how excited they were? They're, they're like swapping stories about the resurrected Christ. How these guys are, oh, we were so sad. We were, just, we were like thrown in the towel. We were walking away from all this. Guy comes up. He opens up the scriptures. Our hearts were on fire. It was weird. Then he breaks bread later. He, he tried to act as if he was going on. He was a very bad actor. So he came in for dinner. He prayed. Boom, lights came on. We realized it was Jesus. We got it all. We clicked it all of a sudden. And we couldn't wait until morning to come and tell you because Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. We want to encourage the church. We want to be together and be encouraged in who he truly is and what he's truly done for us. You know, when you were growing up, I bet there were times when you were sad, when you were disillusioned, and your mom or your dad or even your brother or your sister, they would come around you, they would see that and they would come and they would counsel you and they would comfort you and, and maybe sometimes the role would be reversed and you would encourage your brother or, or your sister or your mom. And so when you're born again as a Christian, you're, you're born again into a family. You're born again into the, the body of Christ. It's not just me and Jesus, no. It's Jesus, you and I, all of us. The term one another occurs approximately a hundred times in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying he wants us to be a community. He wants us to be a faith family that gathers together to strengthen one another. 
Just on a personal note, you have all been amazing at this. Moving my entire family from South Africa to this little patch of sand in the middle of the Caribbean is the epitome of uncertainty. And the way you have come around us and made us feel so loved, so welcomed, some of you have blessed us in the most incredible ways that words literally fail to express how grateful we are. And that's what Jesus is saying. The church, he uses his church to, to strengthen each other, to comfort each other in him. And then you know what happens next with our story? Jesus ascends into heaven, and as he promised, he's faithful to his promises, he sends the Holy Spirit to them, and then they go. The disciples go. They go into a world of uncertainty. They they go into a world faced with persecutions, as we see in the book of Acts. But they go in the power of the Holy Spirit. They go armed with the scriptures. In fact, they add to the scriptures. They, They write the New Testament for us. And they go in the fellowship and the community of the church. And they go and make Jesus known. They go make him known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they did very well. Because like I said, here are you and I, sitting in this little patch of sand in the Caribbean, gathered as the church, pouring over the scriptures in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now you and I, we get to do it. We get to pay it forward. We get to go make this Jesus known to you. We get to go make the Jesus of this Bible known especially in a world that is so full of uncertainty at the moment. We get to go make him known and give this world true hope as we enjoy the hope of the Jesus that we see in this word. That's my prayer for us. That's our vision to know this Jesus, so much so that our hearts burst like these disciples and they go and we go and we make him known in this world. Amen. Would you pray with me? And then we're gonna sing one last song to this incredible Jesus of ours. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the inspiration of your word. I thank you that you didn't just leave us to our own devices to kind of make up our mind about who you are, Jesus, and how you help us, what, we, what truth we can cling to and what we can't cling to. But you sent us the Holy Spirit who inspired the writings of these scriptures so that time and time again, we can go back to them, see you, Jesus, see your truth, cling to your truth, lift up our heads, and go again. Thank you for your word. And I I ask that you would bless all of our ministries as we have such a high view of your scripture. Would you bless all of our various ministries 
as we unpack your word, as you did to those disciples, that their hearts burned, that ours would too, our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be filled with love, joy, grace, and hope, and that we would go and spread that in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.